Hebrews 11 is, is that great hall of faith, as everybody says, you know, and, and it starts out speaking and, and defining faith, defining that hope that we have. Uh, that hope that we have is the hope of the resurrection, and it's because of the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ that we have that hope. And you look at that in, in verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Well, verse 34 back in chapter 10 says this, For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing that in yourselves ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Okay? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And when you look at those two things in, in conjunction, you see that that faith that the Lord Jesus Christ has given you, it has substance. It is so much more than anything that you could just work up. And as we were talking about, even at the deacons meeting, we were talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. We were talking about his faith and, and uh, how, just, how good he is to us in giving us that faith. We don't even have to work up the faith to be saved. Isn't that just logical, though? Not of works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy has he saved us, with the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And that, that knowledge, that understanding, that the faith of Jesus Christ is what justifies us, that faith of Jesus Christ is what uh, he gives us to walk in overcoming the world, it's the faith that he gives us knowing that we are going to take part in that resurrection, and it's a no-so thing. And it's through that faith, it's through his faith, that we of the uncircumcision are saved. The circumcision is saved by faith. The uncircumcision, through faith. There in, in Galatians chapter 3, we saw those things. Uh, we saw how, how that because of, of Jesus Christ, we are Abraham's seeds and heirs according to promise. And so those promises given to Abraham, those promises given, and what was that promise given? That through you, Sarah, all nations of the earth shall be blessed. That's that promise given, and it's through the faith of Abraham. And here in Hebrews chapter 11, we see that. All right, look at, look at this. Uh, go, yeah, verse 8. And I know we've gone through this before. You know, I, I didn't have anything to preach, so we're just going to look at this for a while, and then maybe we'll move on to something else. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. So his faith caused him to obey. The faith that he had caused him, because it was that faith itself that caused him to obey. It wasn't through someone else's faith. It was his faith. Even in the law. You know, what did he say? Those that, uh, if you live by the law, uh, he that doeth these things shall live by them. That's what it is. And then later on he says that for the just shall live by his faith. And that verse is quoted in the New Testament in saying, the, lush, the, the just shall live by faith. And so understanding that, that faith is your life. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of who? The Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so that life that we're now living, it's a life lived by faith. And because of the promise given to Abraham, there was a certain element of faith that he had believing the promises of God. And remembering this, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you something out of John chapter 3. Hold on. 
if I can turn there quickly enough to make it an effective point. John 3, 27, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. So who gave Abraham his faith? God. Just like he gives you your faith. Now once you are given something, and you receive that thing, whose then is it? It's yours. So the just shall live by his faith. But it's not the faith that you worked up. See, do you realize how freeing that is? The faith that I have to, to uh, be the bishop of the Grace Bible Church and to, to oversee the operations here and, and to, to oversee the preaching of the Word of God and, and the various aspects of the ministry and the various needs of the church with the help of our, our deacons and, and just the, the various things that go on. God has given to me that measure of faith, but it's only according to his goodness. It's out of his goodness, but it's according to that goodness that he gives us that measure of faith. Men, you have been given the exact measure of faith that you need to be a godly husband in your home. If you're born of God, you have the amount of faith you need to do that. Ladies, you have the right amount of faith, the exact amount of faith, to be a godly, submissive wife in your home. Isn't that something? Isn't that something that God would be pleased to give you that faith? He did it for Sarah. Back in Hebrews 11, look at this. He obeyed, middle of verse 8, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise. All right, that, that land was promised, but he was just a sojourner. That wasn't going to be his land. That land was coming. It was promised to his seed, but he was just a sojourner. He sojourned in that land of promise. And that's why I say this thing that we're doing here, this is generational. I may not see the blessings of God that he desires to pour out upon this church in my lifetime. The Lord would so will to tarry. I may spend my entire lifetime laboring in these fields, laboring in this church, laboring in the Word of God, planting the seed, edifying the body of Christ, doing the work of the ministry, so that two generations from now can really do the work that God desires to be done here. I'm sojourning in the land of promise. But it's by faith. Why? Because I have a hope. A hope in, an, in, in a more enduring substance. Let's keep going. He sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Now we've gone into this before where it was the, the God of, of Abraham and the God of Isaac. And it wasn't until he wrestled with God all night and God asked him, what's your name? That it became the God of Jacob. Because he always talked about the God of his fathers. And if the Lord brings me back into this land, then the God of my fathers will be my God. He said that. And when Jacob wrestled with the Lord all night, he said, Don't, I'm not going to let you go until you give me a blessing. He was not going to quit wrestling with the Lord. The Lord said, let me go. He said, no. I'm not letting go until you give me a blessing. And then he asked him, what's your name? And you realize the last time Jacob had been asked, what is your name? Do you know what name he gave? Esau. He said, I'm Esau. 
I'm your son Esau. Here, feel the hair on my arms. Taste the venison that I just got for you out of the field. He was a deceiver. Boy, didn't he reap that in his children. But now, continue on to this thing, though. Look, look at this. Dwelling in those tabernacles, they were heirs of the same promise. Now, look at verse 10. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Do you know what city that is? And do you know how many foundations it has? Twelve. It's that city that is the mother of us all. That new Jerusalem. That Jerusalem above. They didn't have a continuing city. They didn't have that thing, but they were looking for one. Even when Jerusalem was established as the place where the Lord was going to set his name, that was not the Jerusalem he was speaking of. It's that one to come. As Paul says, it's the mother of us all. Right? We're going to be getting into that in, in Thursday night Bible study here in the, in the next coming weeks. But, uh, but he looked for a city which hath foundations, who built, whose builder and maker is God. But those things were done by faith. Abraham had that faith. He knew and he believed God. And see, so obeyed. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Doing exactly as the Lord commands. Doing it, what, cheerfully? Happily, with a smile. <laughs> I'm not going to torture you with the rest of the song, but you, you've got it all running in your head. Terry Miller, that's going to be your, in, in your head the rest of the week. <laughs> We're probably going to be singing it next Sunday night. But verse 11 says this, through faith. It shifts. Now, if you notice, down on the one whiteboard, down in the gymnasium, uh, right there, the men's class is there, the little poster, and the one whiteboard, and then the other whiteboard. I have on the other whiteboard a circle, and it has God. And then I have another circle down here, and then I have another circle over here. So there's three circles. The direct line between God and man is by. Okay? We've done this before with a pen and my wife, and we don't need to go through it all again. But by is directly through. Directly, yeah, directly through. By is directly from this one to that one. A direct action. Through, there's a third party involved. There's someone else involved over here. Whether it's Jesus, whether it's Abraham. All right. And when we got into this thing in, in Galatians chapter 3, we looked at there are some things that we have obtained through Abraham's faith. Because it was through the faith of Abraham, right here, that Sarah was able to conceive seed. She received strength to conceive seed. And it was through the faith of Abraham that she got that. And so because of that, her seed was going to be a blessing to all nations. So that's us. So because of the faith of Abraham, we have entrance in as Gentiles. As, as non-Jewish people, because of Jesus Christ... Through the faith of Abraham, that whole operation was able to come all the way down. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Jacob's sons, and then all the way down through, and those, tw those 12 tribes, and all the way down through, and down through the line of Judah, and all the way down through to Mary and Joseph. And those genealogies are so precious. Don't ever, don't ever just glance over those genealogies. I'm not one for alliteration, but glean from those genealogies. Okay? Do you know what gleaning is? You understand gleaning? 
All right, in, in the law of God, when, when they would harvest their crops, they were to leave the corners of the fields. And the strangers and the sojourners and those that didn't have anything, they were allowed to go in and glean off of those corners, pulling ears off. I've said a, a, a couple of different times, and I, last time we were up Friday night up to Black Creek, taking part of the, uh, the meetings up there, uh, I, I, I went up to a couple of the folks up there and I said, thank you for letting me and my family glean from your fields tonight. So I understand they didn't hold those meetings for me. They didn't hold those meetings for Grace Bible. They held them for Black Creek. Just like when we have meetings here and Black Creek comes down, they're, they're gleaning from our fields. But those are, these, are, these are for us. This is for us. And it's a precious thing that we can glean from one another. And we are gleaning from the faith of Abraham. And it's a precious thing. But look at this. Through faith, also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. So her body was given strength. This is an actual physical change that took place in her body. You say, well, that's, that's kind of odd. Well, how old was she when she got pregnant? And there were still men that wanted to take her and be her, their, her as, as their wife. Think about those kings in those foreign lands. A lady in her 80s and 90s, still having that, that beauty and that attraction to the point where a king who could have his pick of any woman in the land to be in his harem would say, that's a beautiful woman. Take her. It makes perfect sense. She herself received strength to conceive seed. I can't remember exactly where it's at, but somewhere in the Psalms it talks about that, that they will, uh, that their flesh will be fresher than a child's. For Sarah and for Abraham as well, their flesh was literally renewed. They were given youth again. Isn't that something? That's what it's saying right here. She received strength to conceive seed, but it wasn't her faith that did it. It was the faith of her husband. Why? Because she laughed. She had no faith. Now, husbands, I want you to take note of this. There's going to be some things that your wife is not going to have the faith to be able to withstand. And you very well may have to carry your wife through that thing by your faith. And she may get through that thing through your faith. God's done it before. Just consider that. The next, the next thing you get to, the next time there's a real hard thing going on, the next time there's something just absolutely tragic, understand God may be doing this so that you'll step up and be that man. That man that's your wife can rest on your faith. Well, look at this. Through faith, also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. Why? Because she judged him faithful who had promised. So, God had promised. She did not believe. Her husband did. She received strength because of the faith of her husband to, receive, to, to conceive seed. And she was delivered of a child. 
Why was she delivered of that child? Well, because she found, she judged him faithful who had promised. What that's saying is she put God on the judgment stand. God promised this. I don't believe it, but my husband does. She receives strength, conceives seed. It, it, elsewhere, it says even, uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's further on in this account here, or it's one of these other places, where it says that uh, she, she said, you know, uh, to my husband, uh, you know, how, how does that put that? Um, well, my husband, no pleasure being old. You know, she, she considered his own flesh dead, unable to receive pleasure. He was way past the time too. But they both received strength. Why? Because God had promised. God had promised. And that's where you take this thing. You go into the word of God. You find a promise of God. And if you take every command, every, every uh, a statute, every good promise, every bad promise, Every, if you do this, I'll do this. And if you do that, I'll do that. You take all those things. If you're able to take all of those upon yourself, you can take any promise in the Word of God and you can say, you know what, I believe that promise. Now, don't go ahead and take a promise. Like, I mean, you go ahead and you go into uh, Proverbs 31. Let's touch on that for a second. We're going to bounce around just a little bit. This might make sense after a little while. Go to Proverbs 31. Or No, we're not going to be talking about the woman. Proverbs 31, woman. There's a lot more in Proverbs 31 than just that. Look at verse 6. It says, Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of a heavy heart. Why? Because wine makes your heart merry. Every time you see wine in the Word of God, it's making your heart merry. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Your Bible literally says that. But don't you dare, if you're going to claim those verses and say, hey, you know what, that's me, I fit in that camp. Don't you dare ever, ever claim a promise of a verse that deals with kings, princes, or children. Why? Look at verse 4. It's not for kings, O Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. It's not for kings to drink. So if you want to claim a, a, a promise of a deliverance, a king called upon the Lord, and he came and delivered that king out of his troubles. You can't claim that promise if you're going to claim the ne those next ones for your own. Those that are ready to die. Those that have no hope. Those that are sorrowing and can't find comfort in God. That's who those promises are for in 6 and 7. I don't know about you, but I'd rather take hold of a lot more promises in the Word of God to kings than to just those two about strong drink and wine. What else does God tell us about strong drink and wine? Wine is a mocker. And strong drink raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not 
wise. Now, what's the opposite of wise? Unwise. A wise man and a fool. What does the Word of God say about fools? A fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So, you're going to take that stand that there is no God. You're going to climb up to the top of Fool's Mountain and proclaim it from the top of the hills that there is no God. You go ahead and you take that strong drink and that wine because that's the closest thing you're ever going to find to peace. But, if you can take hold and take heed of the Word of God, lay aside that strong drink, lay aside that wine which is mocking you, mocking you. You know, the, those children that came out and, and mocked Elijah, what did they tell him? I can still hear Pastor Hain preaching this. Go up, thou bald head. Go up, thou bald head. What happened to them? Those she-bears came out and tear them. Tore them to pieces. Why? Because they were mocking. That wine is going to tear you to pieces. By the way, nobody has ever been able to find in the Word of God where it says, a little beer for thy stomach's sake. We'll let that one sit for just a little bit. And so, that was Proverbs 31. Let's go back to Hebrews 11 and see where else we can go. She judged him faithful who had promised. You see, when you put God on the judgment stand, which we do, and God is on that judgment stand every day, we could go to Romans 3, maybe we'll go there next, I don't know. But God is on the judgment stand every single day. He's being judged. But you know what? He's going to come through on top every single time. And you know what happened when Sarah judged God? She found him faithful. When you judge something, you look at this thing and you say, is this right or is this wrong? And what did Sarah do? Is this promise right or is this promise wrong? She judged him faithful. The jury went out and deliberated in her heart. She examined the whole case that was laid before her. And you know what she came back with a verdict of? Faithful. If you take the word of God and whatever pain, suffering, agony that you have ever been subject to in your entire life, no matter what, how, how terrible it is, no matter how bad it is, you take the word of God and you judge God by his word, you know what you're going to find him? Faithful. You're going to find him faithful through the whole thing if nothing more than because you're still drawing breath. I, I, I sometimes I, I laugh at this only because, to me, it's funny. You know, something will happen and, and you know, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> here's, here's a for instance. I didn't say this, but in my, in my heart I was thinking it. When we went uh, with Brother Deku over to Kinzu Bridge, okay, uh, you know, the railroad crosses right there at that road. And it's an active railroad, but you can see a long ways down. Probably, what, 400 yards one way, 400 yards the other way. Long ways. 
And we got up to that, and I, I pulled up, and I stopped, and I glanced the one way, and there was nothing. I glanced the other way, and there's a train just barely coming around the curve. And I watched it for a second, and it was going really, really slow. And I said, oh, there's a train coming. Well, I think we can make it. And so I went through and opened over across, and we got all the way out to the main road in the stop sign. Like 30 seconds later, when the train finally passed. And Brother Deku, I think probably still today, is telling people about that. Because it, it really, it concerned him. There's a train coming. Oh, but I think we can make it. Oh, it, it, was just, it was just really, really funny. And I thought in my heart, I said, but did you die? <laughs> now, those of you who are sitting here today, is everyone in here alive? Okay. But did you die? Oh God, this is so heavy and so hard, but here you're sitting, alive. There's no way we can get through this one. Absolutely no way. But yet, here you sit, alive. Now I'm going to ask for a raise of hands on this next one. And I will go and I will alleviate this problem, if it's true. Who here was not able to eat today? Not that you didn't eat, but you were not able to eat. Any raise of hands? So we all have food in our bellies. Did you die? You just judged God faithful. Now, tribulation worketh patience. Nobody wants to pray for patience because they don't want the tribulation. And that shows a bit of carnality in ourselves that we don't want to go through the tribulation that God will use to work patience in us, forgetting that there's stuff that comes after the patience. Tribulation worketh patience. What does patience work? Experience. You've experienced that, and you got through it. And you know what that works? Hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. And so, the next time you get into tribulation, hey, guess what? That's, that's working patience in you. So that that patience will work experience. So that the, you can look back on the experience before and say, hey, you know what? I, I came through that. It was rough, but we made it through. And so there's hope. And hope makes not ashamed. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And you judge God faithful. Let's keep going on this. Judge God faithful uh, who, who had promised. Verse 12. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead. There it is. He was as good as dead. He couldn't know pleasure. Could not know pleasure. Those of you in here who are able to receive that, you understand what I'm saying. He could not receive pleasure. He was as good as dead, as was Sarah. But God gave them strength. And it even says that, you know, he gave God the glory. Can you imagine that? Sees his wife, flesh as fair as a child, in her late 80s and 90s. I'd give God glory for that too. <laughs> I'm not being ugly. I'm just saying. Glory to God. How precious is that? Now look at this. He was as good as dead. 
So many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. But he said, these all died in faith. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. And therein, those promises which were seen afar off, God gave to them. They never saw the the culmination of that until one day. Until on one day, there was a man came. And he went down there to Abraham's bosom and he said, he's coming. He told me this day he was going to be here. And there, all those in Abraham's bosom, as they waited, and they waited one day, they waited the second day, they waited the third day. But before that first day had begun, they saw the soul of Jesus Christ being drawn up out of hell, drawn up out of that gulf, placed in Abraham's bosom, and they saw the culmination of all the promises of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Abraham saw his seed, saw that seed of promise. Isaac saw the same. Jacob saw the same. And that thief who died on that cross saw the same. We were just talking about that today uh, around, around lunch table. We were, or maybe it was before lunch. It was before lunch. And we were talking about that, that thief that died on the cross. And then this is, this is a good, deep theological question that a lot of Bible colleges have a really hard time with. But I'm going to pose it to you, and we'll see, we'll see if we can figure this thing out. Our little backcountry church on the back roads of Pennsylvania. A testament is not in force until the death of the testator. Right? Okay. Who died first? Jesus or the thief? Jesus did, right? Because he died. They came to break the legs of those on the crosses, those three on those crosses. They broke the first thief's legs. They broke the second thief's legs. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. So, that thief that went to Abraham's bosom, did he die in the Old Testament or the New In the New Testament. If he wasn't the first, he was one of the first that died in the New Testament. And as far as I can really see theologically, he was the last one, other than Jesus Christ himself, to go into Abraham's bosom. And after those three days, he led captivity captive. He took him about. Now, the reason I talk about the Bible colleges is they will go back and forth about that thing because of the baptism. Baptismal regeneration is such a, is such a, a, a hang-up for people, thinking that there's some sin-cleansing power in the waters of baptism, not understanding the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures, that when he died, you died with him. You were buried with him in baptism. John the Baptist said that he that cometh after me, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. That baptism of fire was not the tongues of fire at the day of Pentecost. If it was, then Methodists have baptism right. And they just put a little bit on the head. That's not baptism. Baptism is a full immersion. 
Now, where's the one place you could go to be fully immersed in fire? That's right. And so when you were buried with him in the baptism of his death, he took you with you with him. Why? Because he was made sin for us who knew no sin. He was made into you on that cross. That was you hanging there. And you went with him into the flames of hell. And when he was drawn up out, he didn't leave you there. You were drawn up out with him. And he baptized you in those fires. I've always wondered that. You know, as we were talking about this in in Thursday Night Bible Study, we were going through it in uh, Galatians chapter 3. And we were looking at that thing, and I've always wondered about that because, you know, the... It always says, you know, oh, it's that, that fire, those flames, tongues of fire on the, the day of Pentecost. And I always thought that, that doesn't fit right because that's not a baptism. That's just a little bit on top of the head. And then I would quip to myself, oh, that sounds like the Methodists. <laughs> and then when, but if you're able to take the word of God for exactly as it says, boy, it's so funny that all the pieces fit together perfectly. And it it shows you Jesus Christ in a depth that you will have never seen before. In a beauty that is, that is beyond your reckoning. In a holiness and a love that is beyond anything that you can comprehend. The agony of the cross was terrible. The agony, agony of the Father turning his face away was terrible. But that's not why he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood in the garden. That's not why he wept in the garden. That's, that, that, that was the beginning of his sorrows. That, that, that's all that was. As we said before, many men have died on a cross. Thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe even into the millions, have died on crosses. There are still people today that will be crucified, some in, you know, very, uh, like it would be, I guess, uh, Mexico and, and, you know, Latin America and places like that. Around Easter time, there will be men that will actually be crucified. And they'll raise them up for a time, and then they'll, they'll take them down. And, and then after that, you know, they get their wounds all healed up and everything. And people give them all sorts of money because this person took part of, of his death and the likeness of that thing. And, and it's, it's all just for money, and it's all just for accolades, and it's all just for show. That's all it is because it doesn't get anywhere with God. If anything, is making a mockery of the thing. And so it's nothing, really. I mean, people have died in factory accidents that are more painful than crucifixion. So why was God so sorrowful? Because of the horrors of hell. The pains of hell got hold upon him. He knew what was coming. Why? Because he's the one that ignited that fire out of his wrath. And those things are, are just, they're, they're just too much for me. I, I can't attain unto it. The love of God. And that's, that's what we see. Like I quoted this morning, like I quoted yesterday. You want to know what the love of God looks like? You look at the death of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. That's what God said. God commendeth his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The death of Jesus Christ is God's love. Hereby perceive we the love of God that he, who? God, died. And that's, that's too much for us to take yet. It really is. But going back to the original thing, that people will want to equate 
baptism with a life-giving power or there's, there's some kind of cleansing that goes on with that and that's where you're actually saved and throwing right out Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy as he saved us, that would, that would be a work. You're, you're relying on some man to complete what God is supposed to do in you. It doesn't add up. It just doesn't add up when you weigh it against the scriptures. Drop that plumb line down. Brother Mike, I, I really appreciate that. And we might even, Miss Pam, we might even work a plumb line somewhere in our decorations in this place. You drop that plumb line down and you weigh what you think and believe, whether it's a theological framework, whether it's a, a denominational framework and thinking, whatever it is, you weigh that thing against that plumb line of the Word of God. And if it doesn't match, that plumb line's not wrong. You're wrong. It's hard to take, though. It's very hard to take. Believe me, I know. <laughs> I've been there. But they'll choke at that thing. Well, did he die in the New Testament? Did he die in the Old Testament? Well, the thief, wasn't, the thief on the cross wasn't baptized because that was Old Testament, because that was before the resurrection. So, so that's where they placed that thing. But no, no, no. A testament is enforced when that testator dies. And Jesus died first. So he died in the New Testament. Amen and amen. Glory to God for that. All right. Uh, hmm. They saw those things afar off, were persuaded of them, and embraced them. Confe and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You know, confession is, is not what we really think of it today. Uh, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. A confession is, an, in our mindset, we think of what? An admission of guilt. You confess to a crime. You're guilty of that thing. There's an element to that. But really what it is, is you're acknowledging, I believe that. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Are you, are you admitting that you're guilty of the Lord Jesus? No, that doesn't work. Look at the English of that, of that verse. Look at exactly what that verse is saying. It says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Go to Romans 10. We'll look at that. Romans 10. And verse 9. Yeah, let's start at verse 8. But what saith it? What saith what? The scripture. It says this. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Again, Paul preached the faith of Jesus Christ. At least he did in Ephesians and Galatians and 1 Corinthians and pretty much the rest of his epistles, including Hebrews. What did Peter preach? The faith of Christ. Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Men and brethren, let's reason together. I can't be David. He's dead and his sepulchre is with us until this day. That was Jesus speaking those words, that his, his soul would not be left in hell, neither would his flesh see corruption. Acts 2, 27 to 31. Paraphrased here and there. But what is that word? It's the word of faith, and it's nigh thee. Why? How is the word of faith nigh thee? Well, Because Jesus Christ is that true light, the light of every man that cometh into the world. Does that leave anybody out? Every man-child and every woman-child that is ever born has the light of Jesus Christ in them. 
when they are born. When they come into this world, they have the light of Jesus Christ in them. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts of the belly. And that word, the word of faith, is nigh thee. It's in you. You who are lost here tonight, the word of faith is already in you. It's the word of God. If you're able to receive it. If you're able to receive that thing, and remembering, like we looked at this morning, that receiving, it's more than just accepting of a gift. It's believing that that thing is true. And it's the same thing with confession. Look at that, verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Are you admitting that you're guilty? Well, guilty of your own self. Guilty of your own sin. But that's not what this says. It says, confess with thy mouth. What, what am I supposed to confess with my mouth? The Lord Jesus. That's what you're supposed to confess with your mouth. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. No man calleth Jesus Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. And so, when you're sealed with that spirit of promise, the Holy Ghost of God is in you. You already have that word nigh you, because that light, Jesus Christ, lighteth every man that cometh into the world. You've got that thing in you. If you'd believe him, he would change your heart. And instead of cursings, and bitter envyings, and murders, and adulteries, and everything that we looked at this morning, all of, instead of all of that, guess what would come out of your mouth? You believing that it is the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. You know, A.W. Tozer spoke of this thing, of, of lordship salvation. Okay? All the theological folks love to throw those big, those big things out, you know. I tell you, there, there's an awful lot of terminology that theologians have that I have absolutely no idea what it means. I really don't. I couldn't tell you the five points of Calvinism now if you had a gun to my head. Why? I, I don't need to know what's false. He had a couple of things right. But he was still relying on his pedobaptism. Pedobaptism, there, there's a theological thing. Uh, baptism of children. You know that John Calvin killed Baptists? Because they were rebaptizing people after they were being born of God. What, what was the other fellow that was with him? Zwingli? Zwingli. They would go out on the river Seine in the winter, break a hole through the ice, and they would baptize these Baptists to death. Leave them there till they thawed out in the spring. And yet we have, there are some churches that will have his picture on the wall. There are Bible colleges that will praise Wingley. It's interesting when you actually read history and not just the history that the victors wrote. Right? Just think about that. It, how do you think World War II would look if Germany had won? Who wrote the history books? The victors. But you, you look into those factual events, those actual historical events, you're going to find there's, there's an awful lot more to that. So yeah, John Calvin, he got a couple of things right. I got a lot wrong. Yep. Hmm. 
But thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. To confess is, is to openly admit, I believe that. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? You can't accept the Holy Ghost. Give it to you. You just can't. Go to John chapter 6. How about this? The Lord's putting together a message. Isn't that something? John chapter 6. Verse 65. Yeah. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. You remember what we read, what John the Baptist said? No man can receive anything except it were given him from heaven. Uh, Where is that? Um, It's in chapter 6 here. Hmm. Verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he hath sent. No man can call Jesus Lord but by the Holy Ghost. And so, how are you able to call Jesus Lord? How are you able to believe on his name? How are you able to be born of God? How are you able to have faith at all? God. But do you believe him enough for him to actually do that? If you come to God and you say, yeah, God, I believe that. I I, I believe that. But there's guile in your heart. Like we said this morning, he's not going to give you anything. Are you able to rest your entire eternity simply on faith? Believing what God said is true. If you can, God will save you. If you can't, God won't save you. If you're not saved here tonight, it's because you do not believe. That's it. So what is God waiting for? He's waiting for you to believe. Again, Jesus Christ has passed by. What about those blind beggars? Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd tried to quiet him down. And what did they do? They cried out so much the more. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on us. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's what he's waiting for. Why? Because you've just come to the end of yourself. And that's where God begins working. Amen. Why don't you come on up? We'll close in some songs.